Life has a way of dishing out some really happy moments from time to time. I bet if you think back to the last week, month, year, five years, ten years, you can think of a time, a day, a weekend, an hour where it was like, oh, I was just so, I was so happy in that moment. It was euphoric, all the sort of the warm feelings rushed over me. This was just a happy time in my life. Can you think of a time like that? In fact, I want you to share the time that you had like that. I want you to think about one moment that you were just, man, this is just a really happy time that I, that I had, whether it was a day or an hour or a weekend, whatever it was, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them about your happy moment, and then they'll tell you about theirs. So we're all going to do this in the room, okay? Put some music on. You got like a minute, okay? Ready, set, go. All right. Let's bring it in. All right. That was quick, but uh, hopefully you shared your euphoric moment. I want to tell you about one of mine. Mine happened in August of this past year. I got the opportunity to take some time off from, uh, from, from working here and uh, took a sabbatical, took a month off, and I had the opportunity to go with my family to Europe. And we went to Paris, and if you've been to Paris, one of the greatest things that you want to do there is see the Eiffel Tower. It's the thing you're like, okay, when do we get to see it? When do we get to see it? And so um, the first night we were there, we, we, we uh, went on a boat ride there on the, on the River Seine. And so you, you catch the boat at the base of the Eiffel Tower, and then you go down the river, and then back, and the whole boat ride takes about an hour, and so we were trying to get it, but it was just going later and later into the evening, and, uh, and so we, we, we got some ice cream, which was really good, um, and I want to say the most American thing here, the portion size was too small, um, but it was good, and so we get this ice cream, and we get it, so we get on this boat, and when we left on the boat, it was like nine o'clock at night, but it wasn't dark out, it was kind of starting to get dark, and so we're leaving, and, and sometime out on the boat ride an hour down the river and back, uh, all the lights on all the buildings come on, because it's just starting to get dark, and then we get back to the Eiffel Tower, and we pull in right at 10 p.m., and as we pull in, um, they do this thing where on the hour, they light it up in all of these crazy ways, so we pull in right at the base of the Eiffel Tower, and they lit it up as if it was just for us. Uh, they lit it up and all these lights kind of going up and down. It's kind of this wild sort of light show that, that it did. And this is a picture that I snapped there of, uh, of my three sons. And this is Reagan Polaric. Keith Polaric and Reagan were with us. So their friend Reagan, uh, the four of them, I was standing behind them as we're all looking up at the, at the Eiffel Tower. And it was just a really, really uh, happy moment, not just because of the Eiffel Tower and the, the magic of, you know, Paris is like Disneyland for adults. It's like, so it wasn't just that, but it was just the, the, the people that were there and who I was with and the, kind of the whole experience. And it was, a, it was a wonderful, like, I wish I could bottle this moment up because it was so fantastic and I just felt so um, happy in, in my life at, at that moment. Now, that comes and goes, right? Like, that doesn't last forever, and it's a moment. I can show you a picture of it, and you can imagine me what it was like to be there. Maybe you've had a, a very similar moment. Um, but I want us to talk about, for the next six weeks, these moments and, and this idea of happiness and the pursuit that we are all on to uh, be happy. And this is a really um, Im important idea for us to look at. So we're going to spend six weeks on it. Uh, we'll spend today kind of introducing the topic and getting into it, and next week we're going to talk about all the wrong roads that we go down in pursuit of happiness that, that think we're going, these things that I think will bring us happiness, but they won't. And then for the last four weeks of this series, I'm really excited about this, there are four different ideas that I want us to look at around happiness that are very biblically uh, based 
around, around the things that we pursue and, and what actually brings happiness. And they're also really backed up by like neuroscience and all these other things, philosophy. So we're kind of look at all of that stuff together and see what God is trying to teach us about this pursuit of happiness and what the pursuit of happiness even reveals about who we are at our core. I think happiness is really, really important to us. When you walked in here today, my guess is you didn't walk in here saying, some of you did, but, but a lot of people, they don't walk into church saying, man, I wonder if there's anything true they're going to say in there today. I, I, want, I want to find out something that's true, and then I'm going to live my life according to that truth. Like, that's what preachers wish you thought when you walked in the room. We're like, man, I hope, they, I hope everyone's here to hear the truth today, and I can speak truth. And like, people walk into a room, into church, into a lot of places, they walk in going, I'm, I, want, I, I want to be happy. Like, I what would help make me happy? Maybe I'll learn something that will contribute to happiness. We are on a happiness quest, for most of us, not a, a truth quest. And that's really deep in, inside of us, if you think about it. I mean, think about parenting. Parents, what do you want your kids to grow up and be? What do you want your kids to grow up and be? I mean, there's lots of answers. Do you want your kids to grow up to be successful, to be rich, to be to be healthy? Do you want your kids to grow up to be well-adjusted adults? Do you want them to just not live in your basement? Like, what are your goals when you look at your kids? I want my kids to grow up and be this. The number one answer on surveys, when, when you poll parents, they say, I want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to be happy. So already, by the time you hit adulthood, you probably have mom pressure for you to be happy. And bonus, your parents will do a pretty good job of telling you exactly how that happiness can be achieved according to their, according to their standard, right? And, and some of us have gone through a lot of counseling to try to undo that, to try to undo the pressure that they bring about this is what happiness is and I'm going to prescribe it for you. You need to do it exactly this way. So we get, we get parental pressure to, to pursue happiness, but also, I don't know if you noticed, it's baked into our country's founding documents. How, how strange is that? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men created were created equal and in, were endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Don't you think that it is bizarre that in a country's founding documents we write the pursuit of happiness as one of our highest aims and goals? That's a really weird thing. Like, throughout all, all the course of history... That, that we're, we're, this is an ideal we have. We're saying, as Americans, what we're after, what we're about, is pursuing happiness. But if you think about it, that comes with all sorts of problems. Whose ideal of happiness are we pursuing? Do we all get to self-define? What happens when my happiness conflicts with your happiness? If I'm doing something that makes me happy and doesn't make you happy, well, now we have problems. But my country told me, I'm, my country and my mom told me that I should be pursuing happiness. And so I'm going after it and... There's all sorts of problems that come up around this idea. The journalist Malcolm Muggeridge said, this lamentable phrase, the pursuit of happiness, is responsible for a good part of, of the ills and miseries of the modern world. But the pursuit of happiness is way older than us in America in, in the 21st century in the last 200 years. It, it, goes, it goes way back. Uh, ancient Greece, Socrates uh, believed that, human, that happiness could be attained by human effort, which was a revolutionary idea. It wasn't that you could get happy just by the fate of the gods, like if the gods decided to make you happy or not. Socrates believed that by your human effort you could achieve happiness. The Buddha taught that happiness flows from good or pure thoughts. 
Aristotle thought that happiness depends on ourselves, that we are responsible for making our happiness, which is really the foundation of so much modern self-help stuff around happiness. Um, St. Augustine, in the the 5th century, he taught that uh, happiness is unattainable here in in this earth. It's only attainable in the afterlife when we are with Christ in heaven. That is the only way, the only place we're going to be happy. Later, St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, he modifies that idea and says that we actually can obtain an imperfect form of happiness while we are here on this earth, but ultimate perfect happiness is going to come when we're in heaven. Um, Abraham Maslow, you may have heard of Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. Let me show it to you up on the screen. You may have seen these before. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy is all about, okay, you need these things, um, but he wasn't trying to describe, when he got into this, he was not trying to describe um, what our needs. What he was trying to understand was what our peak experiences were about. That was what was driving his research was, uh, how do we have these peak experiences in life, this, this, this bliss, this happiness, and what needs to be in place in order for us to have these peak experiences. He was preceded by a, 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 a so- psychologist, a social researcher named William James. And William James, in his book in 1902, this book called The Varieties of Religious Experience, listen to what he wrote about happiness. If we were to ask the question, what is human life's chief concern? One of the answers we should receive would be, it is happiness. How to gain, how to keep, How to recover happiness is, in fact, for most men at all times, the secret motive of all they do and all they are willing to endure. What's he saying? Underneath all of us is this restless, relentless drive towards happiness. Um, We are always uh, pursuing it. We are, are going after it in so many different ways in our lives. Um, and, and if you think that's not true, just think about your week. What are you planning this weekend? What are you planning for later today? What are you planning for next week? What are you planning for next month? And how many of those things that you're planning on doing revolve around your own sense and your own pursuit of happiness? You say, oh, I want to go do this. This is going to make me happy. I'm going to go get together with these people. I'm gonna, that's going to be happy. Like, we structure our lives around this. And that r- relentless drive towards happiness goes a long way to explaining why we're so unhappy. Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, philosopher, and, and a Christian, actually, he, he wrote this, unhappy people are unhappy because they don't know how to find happiness in the monotonous daily grind of their lives. Maybe if he wouldn't refer to it as a monotonous daily grind, I could feel a little, <laughs> a little better about it, but I think the point, the point is well made. Unhappy people are unhappy because they don't know how to find it in the normal stuff. We only know how to find it in these like peak things and we're only looking there. And so uh, this is going to be a, a, a problem for us. Um, I, I think that's true. I've seen that. Um, I, I've, if you've traveled overseas and you've visited maybe a, a really poor, really impoverished country, one of the things so many people experience when they go to um, some, some pretty rough spots in the world, they come back and they go, oh man, people there are so happy. As if it's surprising to us. Because what we mean when we say that is, because if I lived in that situation, I, there's no way I could be happy. So I don't know how these people are happy. They don't have all of the stuff or the things, you know? Like, how could they be happy? Because if I was there, I couldn't be, right? Like, we believe that. And, and I think we have kind of a, a sort of a broken view 
of, of happiness. People are, are able actually to find happiness in what would be a monotonous daily grind. See, the problem is we, th- we have this idea of happiness where it, it's a when and then idea of happiness, which when and then I think in this context are very dangerous words in the, hum- in the English language. We, we, we attach these scenarios to our happiness. We say, when my cancer is in remission, then I will be happy. When I'm married, then I'll be happy. When my divorce is finalized, then I'll be happy. When I have children, then I'll be happy. When I have that job, then I'll be happy. When I have enough money, then I'll be happy. When I retire, then I'll be happy. And men, for some people, when I die, I think that's when I'll be happy. And we... And because we're consistently doing that, because we're always pursuing this idea of happy, um, it's a problem for us. Pascal says it this way, since we are always planning to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. So what do we do with all that? Where do we start on this happiness quest? There's a lot to lay out for you over the course of six weeks, but I, th- I thought it would be good if we just started here. I want to go to, a, to an ancient writer um, in, in, in the Bible, uh, uh, somebody who was wise, somebody who was a, a strong leader, someone who had experienced so many peaks and valleys in his own life, someone who had, in the ancient world had his needs met and, and, and yet um, wrote and, and thought about it. And um, it's a guy named King David who was king of Israel in about the year 1000 B.C., and uh, David had an, an incredible life. And, and one of the things David did, he was this warrior king guy, but he was also a musician, and, and so he wrote songs that are recorded for us in the middle of the Bible. Um, there's a book called the Psalms, which are just these ancient songs. And David wrote these songs, and he would play a harp, and he would sing and, and all that. And he, and he wrote about the human experience. And there are a lot of things he wrote in here are, are really good to, to, to read through and understand God, to understand who we are. And I want to read to you the very first psalm that he wrote that we have recorded down for us. Um, I don't know if he wrote like 50 psalms before this that were all lame. Like, you know, Bob Dylan says you have to write 40 bad songs before you write good one, one good one. I don't know if there's like 50 more that were terrible, but he starts with this one that I think is a good, a strong start. Psalm 1, and I want you to see where happiness is kind of wrapped up in this. Um, let's go here. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed or blessed is, is another way of saying happy. So happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What is he talking about? He's talking about this, this, maybe this negative side first. He says, look, here, here, the happy person is going to do this. They're, they're going to not walk, uh, walk with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffer, scoffers. Look at, the, look at the verbs there. Walk, stand, sit. Okay, so walk is an action. So he's saying, happy is the person who does not take the sinful action, who is not walking with sinners, who is not um, uh, walking around um, in, in, and with people and, doing, and going to the wrong places and doing bad things, right? Like, so he's first kind of going there. He says, nor stands in the way of sinners, um, kind of keeping the company. He talks about the counsel of the wicked. So not only are people... Uh, walking and taking action in the way of the wicked, but they are listening to bad advice, listening to bad counsel, surrounding themselves with people who are not going to 
to go a good direction. So he says, you're, happy, you're gonna be happiest if you don't do this. And finally he says, you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. When you sit with someone in the ancient world and in the Jewish mindset, sitting with someone means you belong to those people. So if you sat with the Greeks, you're like the Greeks. If you sat with slaves, you were like a slave. And so when it says, sit in the seat of scoffers, it's saying, you are sitting with and you are, you are the, those people. You're becoming the people who, who mock the, the scoffers, he says. Um, and so, first of all, he says basically this, um, you're going to be happy when you keep some different company, when you don't hang out with people who are going to uh, drag you down and give you bad advice. Um, so I think first off, we need to examine for happiness. We just need to examine who are the people that we sit with. Where do we, where do we fit in? Where do we belong? Who, who, who are your tribe? You've heard me say this before. You, you are the average of your five closest friends. So, so who are those five people that are in your inner circle? And, and do, they, do they help drive you towards uh, blessedness or, or happiness? Or do they actually pull you away from all this because they're, uh, they're the counsel of the wicked? They're mockers, um, scoffers. Maybe we need to examine that. Now, that doesn't mean you cut everyone off. Um, if you're going to cut off all the sinners in your life, you have to cut off you first because you're, you're one too, right? And I'm one too, right? So uh, it doesn't mean you cut everybody off, but it, but it does mean we need to look closely because the, the, the people that you're walking with, um, they're going to shape who you're becoming. And we're going to talk about that more, more closely in two weeks. Uh, so I'll come back to that idea because that's one of the parts of happiness that we really want to dig into. For now, let's, let's continue on. Uh, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So there's a, a positive side and negative side to happiness. On the negative side, he's saying don't walk with these people. On the positive side, he said here's what you should be doing. You should take your delight, he says, in the law of the Lord, and on that you're going to meditate on it day and night. Um, happiness is found when you seek to know God Seek to know the Lord, and you, and you pursue him. When you go after him and you meditate on his word, on his teaching, on where he is, is leading you. Um, I, I think the greatest happiness in life it can be found when you, when you deal with and figure out the God question in your life. Now, does this mean that people who do that, or, or that, let's just say Christians, does this mean that Christians are more happy than non-Christians? Well, if you Google that, you will find studies that show, yes, Christians are more happy than non-Christians. Then there's counter studies to that and, and pros and cons, and then there's like, I don't know, fake news or something. There's just like all these, these things that are out there about that. Uh, what I would say is a good solid maybe on the fact that Christians are more happy than non-Christians. Um, there are some reasons for that. There are some reasons around social structures, even being involved in a church, uh, the community that is built, the support network that is there, that might not be directly tied to do you believe in God or not or those kind of things. But there, there's, there's something there. But I think for now, I think we just need to consider, consider that there is blessing, that there is happiness to be found when you actually try to live out God's teaching in your life. And I know that may sound radical. That, that's not going to sound like, really? I'm supposed to live out God's, like, follow Jesus' words or whatever. That, surely that can't be it. That can't be the way to pursue happiness. 
But right here at the beginning of the Psalms, I, I think he is pointing us to that and saying there's depth to be found here when you know the Lord, when you get right with him, uh, that's going to start putting some other things in place in your life, including uh, happiness. Here's a couple conclusions I think we can draw just from these couple verses. Number one, happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Um, it does not fall on us accidentally. We, we, we sort of we love the idea in America that we're in charge of our lives, but we, we still often believe in all of these things sort of falling upon us. I fell in love, right? Like it just, whoops. Or, or, I, or even in, into happiness, we don't say I fell into happiness, but we kind of live, believe that, you know, like, oh, it just kind of visits you from time to time if you get lucky. But, but I, I think one thing we can see here is that blesses the man who doesn't do these things but does do these things. There are some choices to be made here. Um, happiness will follow after you make some choices, the choice of how your time, the choice of how you spend your energy, the choice of your frame of mind. Uh, happiness uh, is, a, is a choice. Now, I, I don't mean it in, um, uh, you know, just choosing happiness, right? We have a, a, we have a candle at our house, and you know how they name candles? You know, like whatever flavor or whatever, the, sometimes they'll give them fancy names. We have a candle called Choose Happiness at the house. Um, which is a good name for a candle. I don't know that it works as a life philosophy entirely um, because, because, of this, because of this second thing. Um, happiness is not found by those who seek happiness directly. Notice David doesn't say, blessed is the man who seeks blessing. Or to put it another way, happy is the person who's trying to get their happiness. That's not how happiness is found. Uh, it's found when we choose other things first. It is a byproduct, but it's not something that we can seek on its own. Um, you seek God first, and then you'll get other things thrown in, happiness and other things thrown in. Jesus teaches this also, uh, similar, to, similar to David here. Jesus talks about our contentment, our anxiety, our stress level, uh, all of these things and our relationship to our happiness. And listen to what he says in Matthew, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then here's the key. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek God first. Know him. Read his words Get around people who are learning from him as well. Rub up against them. S sit in that seat of people, in that seat with people. Seek after him, and, and all that other stuff will get taken care of. Your, your hierarchy of needs, your, even uh, your, your happiness. Now, I don't think the goal of the Christian life is to be happy. I think the goal is to know him and, and follow him. I think happiness can come as a byproduct at times, but I don't know that the Christian life is designed for happiness. C.S. Lewis said, said it this way. C.S. Lewis, who as a child was, uh, went through an atheist spell 
and then came to Christianity, he said this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I do believe that Christianity can bring us to a place of deep, uh, pervasive, underlying joy, a, a foundation of which that, that happiness can, can come out of that. Um, I, I do believe that's, that's true. Let me just take you back to the Psalms one more time. What does David tell us this, this brings? Um, if, you, if you don't sit in the seat of scoffers and if you are willing to uh, meditate on God's law day and night, this is what he says about you in verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. David says, there's a rootedness to us when we, uh, when we are seeking after God. There's happiness thrown in, for sure, but there's, there's some deeper things than happiness that we get when we seek after God. He describes it as being a tree by the water. Look, if you've been to southern Israel where David spends a lot of his life, it's really dry there. It's really dry. It's dusty, rocks, not a lot of trees. And so if a tree is going to survive and thrive in that environment, it needs to be near a water source so that it can survive all the different seasons of the year. You don't see trees growing in really dry places too often. Uh, mostly they gr- grow in, in rainy climates. And so David's saying, look, if you're going to flourish, you need to be connected to the water. There needs to be this, these roots go down and they draw from the water source. And the person who seeks after God and knows him and meditates on his law day and night That person is rooted. That person is drawing from the source. That person can withstand all the changes of the season. And and David says that person is going to be fruitful. You're going to bear fruit in your life. You're going to prosper. This speaks, I think, to our deeper need. Happiness is great. But David pushes us into something different, which I think is something more like resiliency, that we can survive what, whatever comes our way, not just that we would be happy all the time. Happiness is great, resiliency is better. And really, parents, isn't that actually what you want for your kids? You say, I want my kids to be happy. No, you don't. What you want is your kids to be able to put up with whatever and, and roll with it and, and be strong. Um, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Robin Berman uh, travels all over the country and she speaks about parenting and, and so often she hears parents say they want their kids to be happy. And she said, uh, I would love it if a parent would say to me, I want to raise kind kids who can manage their feelings. And she's like, I, I would swoon if parents would start saying that, you know. Um, to get there, I think we have to, to dial into God to be that tree planted by the stream. So two things really quick and then we're done. Number one, Christ, Jesus Christ can bring not just happiness, but resiliency, and then you'll get happiness thrown in. He can bring you into a relationship with your creator that is unshakable, that is uh, incapable of being knocked down or, 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 or blown away. Um, he can bring resiliency. And then the second thing is Christ, uh, a relationship with Christ can bring meaning to your life. And here's an interesting thing. Happiness, and research backs this up, happiness is connected to meaning. The reason the Paris picture I showed you 
was a happy moment for me is because of the people in the picture, not the tower in the background. The tower was a, a catalyst and was fun, but it's the meaning associated with the relationships. If you go back to what you shared at the beginning of this talk, when you talk to someone about a happy moment, my guess is it was a happy moment because it was a meaningful thing. Your child was born. It was a wedding day. It was this great time that you had. The relationships that were around you were meaningful. And the happiness came as a byproduct of that meaning. And what I want to tell you is that being in a relationship with Christ and getting to know him can bring ultimate meaning to your life because he brings you into the ultimate meaningful relationship with your heavenly father. He brings a meaning and a purpose that suffering can't take away. So in the next five weeks, we're going to spend quite a bit of time next week on, on um happiness and its um, cousin, which is known as pleasure. And we're going to talk about those things and how they're different and, and where our culture is um, using Wall Street, Madison Avenue, Silicon Valley, and D.C. all conspiring together to, to sell us one without the other. And we'll talk about some of those ways that we go down those roads as a culture and, and maybe what's a better way to walk. And we'll look at some people in the scripture who went down the pleasure road really far as well. Um, And then over the four weeks after that, there are four key things about happiness, and I really want us to get these um, that that, uh, we can, that are meaningful, that Scripture points us to, that that the byproduct of them is happiness, and we're going to get into all of that. So really, stick with with us in this whole thing. We will finish up um, on Mother's Day, and so I think it's going to be, we'll finish up on Mother's Day talking about food, which is is good, which will be a a great thing. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you for the entire emotional range that you have provided us with, that you give us the moments of agony and ecstasy, you give us the, the, the highs and the lows, that you've designed our brains in such a way to appreciate these peak experiences, and you've designed our lives in such a way to deliver them. Um, God, I know um, sometimes in talking about happiness, it's a reminder to us about how unhappy we are, about um, how things have not worked out the way we want. And um, so God, I I just pray for people in the room who walked in feeling profoundly unhappy. And I pray that this next six six weeks journey is uh, is powerful and, and helpful and helps us to be rooted and connected into you um, as, as the one who can, who can bring about happiness and, and, uh, and, sh- and, and shape that and form that in us. Um, God, we, we love you. We want to know you. Um, and, and we want to be uh, healthy and whole. And so we, we lean on you as the only source to truly make that. God, we don't lean on self-help. Um, we don't even entirely lean on other people um, although there's value in all of those things, but ultimately we lean on you as, as the source of our health, our happiness, our freedom. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.